Um, what I'd like to do, though, to, to begin with is to cast your mind back um, a number of years um, and to think, when you were growing up, how many of us um, had the experience of wearing hand-me-downs? Someone else? Clothes you washed, hopefully, and then um, you have to wear them. Who else wore hand-me-downs? Okay, did anyone have the experience of... Um, seeing those clothes being worn by maybe an older brother or sister, um, and then you knew that clothes sooner or later was going to come to you. Anyone else have that experience? few of us. Okay. Now, I want to tell you the tale of two jackets. Um, the first jacket um, my brother got, it was a leather jacket. So, Yanni, if you have this picture... Um, it wasn't exactly like this because um, I couldn't actually find any pictures of, of, the, of the actual leather jacket. But this was very exciting. Um, first of all, for my, for my brother, um, part, well, ma- the main reason was is because me and my brother had a little competition as who could be most like Michael Knight from Knight Rider. <laughs> um, so there we go. As you, as you can see, I still model myself um, on, on Michael Knight. Um, so this was actually, when my, when my brother got the jacket, um, it was quite a sad day for me because I was the one who was most like Michael Knight because I had a brown cardigan. That's the closest we could get to a leather jacket, brown, was a brown cardigan. Um, and, um, but then when my brother got this jacket, I was, I was distraught because he was now the most like Michael Knight. However, in time, I knew that the leather jacket would be mine. Uh, and I will be able to walk around with confidence, knowing that everyone would think I was just like this guy. Um, now, the second jacket, um, again, I don't have the actual picture. It was a bit like this. It was a, a, a blue kind of bomber jacket with loads of uh, badges on each arm. Um, Mum, you probably sewed the badges on, didn't you? There was kind of... Um, <laughs> you know, when you, get, when you go to different places, you have loads of different badges. And so this... this a bomber jacket was filled um, with badges on, on each arm. And to be honest, I, hadn't, I didn't think too much of this jacket when my brother was wearing it. Um, but then when I, when, I, when I got it, and then I was, I was wearing it to school, it was fine, and then, then people started waving at me. I was like, what, what's going on? Why are people waving at me? And it had, just here, there was a badge that said, wave if you love Jesus. <laughs> wave if you love Jesus. Do you remember saying that on? You don't remember? Okay, mum's denying all responsibility (laughs) for this. It had wave if you love Jesus. Um, And going going into school, there was one particular guy who would wave. I didn't know it was possible to wave sarcastically, but this guy (laughs) would wave sarcastically at me. And I'd I'd hate wearing this jacket because I I feel like wave if you love Jesus. When you're 11 years old, that's not the kind of image that you want to portray. Um, And so... I, what I tried to do was I would I'd kind of carry my bags in such a way as I would try and cover up the badge just here so that no one would see it. I don't know if anyone else had that kind of experience of, of the clothes that you would wear growing up. But what I want us to do is to think this morning about how we live. Are we going to live confident in who we are? Are we going to live a little bit ashamed, a little bit embarrassed about what may be on our sleeves? Do we try to hide what we believe? It may be for us, tomorrow morning, we may be avoiding that conversation of, oh, what did you do at the weekend? He said, oh, I did a bit of shopping. But you don't mention the fact that you've you've been here. You've been at church worshipping Jesus. You might just want to sidestep that. Maybe today faith is only a bit part of your life. Or something today that you may be exploring. So as we are looking through this book of Acts, we see Paul as someone who is totally sold out for Jesus. He lives 
unashamed. He says in Romans 1 verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes. The truth is that the gospel of Jesus means eternal life for all who trust in him. It is a message that needs to be communicated with clarity and with confidence. And so today I want to encourage us to live with this attitude. You may remember when Simon Gilbo was with us a few weeks ago, he brought a few copies of his book of, of daily devotions called Choose Life. In one of these devotions, he tells of a, a young man from Zimbabwe who was killed for his faith. But before this man was martyred, he said this, I am part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. It's an amazing statement, isn't it? Now, not many of us will have to face the possibility of being killed for our faith. But nevertheless, our attitude should be the same. That we are part of the fellowship of the unashamed. We are part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And I wonder this morning, is this our attitude? Is this the, the summary of our view of life? We're going to be learning from Paul about how we can live this way. So if you have a Bible in front, if you'd like to turn to Acts chapter 17, the church Bibles, this is page uh, 1113. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17. And just to kind of get our bearings, um, Everyone likes a good map, don't they? So, if, yeah, and if you can have the, the map, this is where we're going to be um, in this Paul's second missionary journey. And we're kind of um, top left-ish. Um, so we, we, we pick him, um, Paul up, um, coming from uh, Philippi. He goes through Amphipolis, Am, Amphipolis and Apollonia on the left. And then we've got Thessalonica and Berea and then down to Athens at the bottom of, of modern-day Greece. So for those of us who like to know where we are, this is, is where we are and where we'll be going. And um, in a moment, I'm going to be uh, reading through. We're going we're to pick up a, a few chunks at a time, first of all in Thessalonica, and then in Berea, and then in Athens. And we're going to learn some things from Paul about what it means to be part of the fellowship of the unashamed. And I, I actually also had the opportunity to see this attitude in action this week. Um, Richard, myself, and Matthew were up in Glasgow um, to be with uh, Ian and Lindsay, who moved at the start of the summer to go and plant Glasgow Grace. I think we may have a picture of, of them as well. They had a vision night on Thursday. And um, did I put that on there, Yanni? There we go. Um, so they had uh, 70 people out for their vision night. There were a few other people looking in to encourage them, about 20 or so others. So they got a really good core team and those people who are looking to be part of Glasgow Grace. It was, it was wonderful to be with them, uh, to see this attitude in action. Because they know if, if they're not going to go, if they're not going to go and tell people, then there will not be this church plant that has been birthed in their hearts. They need to go. 
confidently with the truth of the gospel. And the truth is for us today that we should have this same attitude because the reality for us, like Paul, like those at Glasgow Grace, many places where we go, the local church is not present. In our streets, in our places of work, in our communities, the local church isn't there. We bring the presence of Jesus, and this is how we are to live. We're to bring Jesus to where he isn't already. We're to live as part of the fellowship of the unashamed. So let's start um, and read from uh, Acts 17, verse 1, where Paul is going to Thessalonica. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have, come, have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the, crowns and the, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they put Jason and the others on bow and let them go. Lord, we do thank you for the truth of your words. We thank you, Lord, that we need not be ashamed. And we ask you, Lord, that you would bring real encouragement to us, that you would open our eyes to afresh to your truth, and that you give us the confidence to go in your name and for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at eight tips on how we can go and be part of this fellowship of the unashamed. So first of all, what I'd like us to see from here is that we are to go in team. We're to go in team because fellowship needs people. It's very difficult to be a fellowship of one. Imagine Lord of the Rings, the, the fellowship of the ring, if it was just Frodo, the film would have been a lot shorter, um, <laughs> which some would say may have been a blessing, but um, <laughs> I know I'm often in the minority thinking, does anyone else get a little bit bored through the Lord of the Rings film? I know you're not supposed to say that out loud, um, <laughs> but fellowship is about people being together. We see verse one, Paul and his companions passing through um, these places. Because God calls us to go together, not on our own. The language of family is throughout Scripture. We're to know God as our Father. We know that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. God has intentionally placed us in community. And there'll be times that there'll be disagreements. There'll be times when there'll be challenges. But we are to go together. Because there are strong relationships that helps us to navigate the ups and downs of building church life. God calls for himself a people to go in community because there are different gifts. There's shared wisdom. There's support through the challenges. And, and honestly, it's, it's more fun. It's more fun to go together. At Glasgow Grace, it's wonderful to see that local team that's being built. 
and also to recognize that people like us can go and, and be part of that wider team cheering them on. That's why we gather Sunday by Sunday. It's why we have life groups during the week. It's why we do community Bible reading. Because if we want to go unashamed, we need to go together. Secondly, we're to go convinced of the truth. We see in, uh, in verse 2, it was Paul's custom to go to the synagogue. And then uh, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul knew the scriptures well, and he could communicate them. And he spent days proving that Jesus was the Messiah. He reasoned, he proved, he explained, he proclaimed. It reminds me of the road to Emmaus where Jesus was speaking to the disciples and, and putting out passages of scripture which pointed to the fact that, that Jesus was to, to die and, and, and rise again and says that their hearts were burning. This is the effect that the truth is to have when we're convinced of it and when we're explaining it. So we're to go convinced of the truth and confident that the Christian faith is true. This was part of my uh, decision-making process when I studied theology at, at university. I'd grown up around the Christian faith and I, I wanted it challenged a bit. I think, why do I actually believe it? Is, is it true? Because if it, will, if it is true, it will stand up to the test. And if not, I don't want to base my life on it. We need to be convinced of the truth of the gospel. And we to remember also Paul's history. He was one that was totally opposed to Jesus, fiercely attacking his followers. But now he's unashamedly proclaiming the name of Jesus. He'd encountered the truth of him. He knew the scriptures and he knew Jesus. And this is a powerful combination because we mustn't just have passion for the truth. We're to be passionate for the truth that will bring us to Jesus, to know him and to enjoy him. So imagine a, a friend takes you out for coffee, uh, and as you talk, all they do is they spend time writing lists. They might make a, a list of um, how tall you are, of uh, how much you weigh, uh, things you've done, the, your likes and dislikes. They do nothing else other than uh, ask questions and write down facts. Now, they may know a lot about you, but that is not relationship. That's not a friendship. So we study the words because we want to be led to know more of God and live in relationship with him. So we're to live unashamed and we're to go convinced of the truth that leads us to relationship with the living God. Number three, we're to go expecting opposition. Verse, verse 5, we see that there are some other Jews that were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. We're not to be surprised by opposition. In fact, we're to be surprised if there is no opposition. Because the gospel should be provoking a reaction. Because it's saying that you need help. It's saying that you haven't got this. It's saying that this world isn't about you and what you want. That's not a brilliant ad campaign, is it? Not many people would have pitched that um, if they wanted to sell a product. There's, this is opposite to the message that's often portrayed to us. Um, even this week, I saw an advert for, for hot tubs. And so there's a picture of a, a hot tub with a slogan, you deserve it. 
I think, how, how do they know? How do they know that I deserve a hot tub? And what do you actually need to do to deserve a hot tub? I, I don't know. The gospel isn't a message saying that you're worth it, but rather only God is worth it. And you need to live in line with him. And this is good news. Because God is the only true God, he founded the world, he gives life, he sustains life both now and for eternity. There is none like him. None even comes close. He has the very best for us, and he does bring life to the full. But that isn't where we start. We start by acknowledging his power and his glory. Sometimes people don't listen past these opening words. And we can ask, if there's no reaction, have people actually heard the truth of what we are saying? In verse 6, it says that they, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men have caused trouble all over the world, and now they have come here. Uh, in the authorized version, it says they turned the world upside down. And I love this description as a group of Christians passionate for God, convinced of the truth, they make a huge impact. Now, the first question is, has your world been turned upside down? Has your world been turned upside down? Because following Jesus is about completely reordering our priorities, making Jesus first, not ourselves. There you go. Has, has anyone visited? The, this is the upside-down house in Bournemouth. I haven't actually been there myself yet. But... When you put your Jesus first, it can, it can feel like the rest of the world lives upside down in comparison. And, and this is actually how it should be. The second question then is, does your relationship with Jesus cause trouble? Is it obvious that you live according to a different vision? Should it cause trouble around you a bit more? Jesus turns the whole world upside down. Now, I'm not saying that we are to go out and, and provoke a fight with people. But when we go unashamed, there should be a challenge to the culture and some kind of opposition. As we go unashamed, knowing that there will be opposition and not being afraid about that because we know that God is with us, he equips us, he strengthens us, he never leaves us or forsakes us. We are to keep our eyes fixed on him. So Paul is forced to move on from Thessalonica. Let's read what happens next. Back to Acts 17, uh, and this time we're reading from verse 10. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So the next thing I want us to look at as we try to go and, and be part of this fellowship of, the sa of, uh, fellowship of the unashamed is that we are to go again. We're to go again. Paul, having just encountered much trouble in Thessalonica, comes to Berea, and, and then he goes again. 
he goes to the synagogue. We're to get back up and keep going. Paul didn't stop or or change his message after a setback. We saw last week in in chapter 16 how he'd been put in prison and flogged. In Thessalonica, others had attacked him. How, How does he keep going? Well, it was interesting to note last week while in prison, he praised God through the night. He chose to fix his eyes on the living God and refused to be distracted from his ultimate call. He had also been encouraged to see the response of those in, in Berea. Having, having gone again, it says the Berean Jews were of more noble character. They received the message with great eagerness and examined the, the scriptures. This would have been uh, joy giving to Paul, seeing p- the, the truth of the gospel responding and impacting people's lives. But following Jesus involves many decisions to go again. When you pray and things don't turn out as you hope, you go again, trusting God's heart, even though you can't always see his hand at work. When you're finding it hard to keep doing good, you go again knowing, as Galatians 6 tells us, that we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But here, even in, in Berea, Paul sees that, that same pattern. Verse 13, he's opposed again. And then verse 14, 15, he needs his team around him again to, to help out. They move on. They go again. This time, they move down to Athens. Being part of the fellowship of the unashamed is about persevering, about going again time after time. Let's read what happens in, in Athens. Let's read from verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and put him in a, to a meet, then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, "May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean." All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. We'll pause there for a moment. I love us to see that what Paul does is that he goes distressed at what he sees. And that's true for us. We're to go distressed at what we see. Paul arrives in Athens and sees the idols around him. He sees many different gods being worshipped. And he's distressed. Reminds us of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem in Luke 19. That's actually a contrast with, with Jonah, who was sent to, to Nineveh, who was actually more concerned over a tree that sprang up overnight than a city, of, uh, a city of people far from God. I love us to think this morning, what things do we get distressed, angry, worked up about? Honestly, for me, if I look back past the last week, Two weeks, what things have I really got worked up about or, or angry about or distressed about? And often, they're the wrong things. Often, trivial frustrations will 
uh, impact me far too much. And we can think that Jonah had his priorities out of proportion, but we are often more worked up over the traffic that's affecting our journey than the many that around us that are far from Jesus. Paul would have been surrounded by a, a forest of idols in Athens, and so he just simply couldn't ignore it. And it's important for us not to be ignoring the situation around us. Writing about this passage, um, John Stott says, God has promoted Jesus to the supreme place of honor in order that every knee and tongue should acknowledge his lordship. Whenever he is denied his rightful place in people's lives, we should feel inwardly wounded and jealous for his name. We should feel inwardly wounded and jealous for his name. Paul was provoked, just like we see in, in the Old Testament when the Israelites made the golden calf. God revealed a, a righteous jealousy because his name was being dishonored. Here, Paul is jealous for God because in Athens, man-made objects were put in the place that God deserves. It's to know that every knee should bow before God and only before him and nothing else. And so I think it's a real challenge to us. Are we distressed? Do we, we, do we call on God? Do we ask God to break our hearts? Later on, Paul mentions an idol, an altar to the unknown God, whose identity and, and nature was unknown. There are so many gods around, they didn't want to miss one by mistake. But do we hear of this much today? We don't come across many people with idols or shrines set up. I don't often get calls to come around people's houses to take down an idol that they've built in their front room. So is this really an, an issue for us? For us to advance effectively, we need to have the devotion of our hearts in the right place. And we need to ha see people's hearts change around us. Because we do long for identity, purpose, and significance. We long to be satisf satisfied, and therefore we pursue or, or worship or idolize things we believe will satisfy our need. That might be money or relationship or achievement. David Powlison sums it up like this. He says, we rarely say, I'm going to set my heart on this thing and let it completely control my life. But that is exactly what happens. The person you met and mildly enjoyed becomes the person you cannot live without. The work you undertook to support your family becomes a source of identity and achievement that you cannot give up. The house you built for the shelter and comfort of your family becomes a temple for the worship of possessions. A rightful attention to your own needs morphs into a self-absorbed existence. All of this is because our hearts love to worship, actively pursuing that which we believe will satisfy us most deeply. The question is, here this morning, are we searching for something other than Jesus? We're to know that only in him will we truly be satisfied. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9, For they report how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Why would we serve an idol when you can serve the living and true God? Idols promise much, but they deliver little. 
Relationships are good, but our identity needs to be in who we are in Christ. A relationship with the one who will never let us down. Money helps us buy things, but it isn't to be our place of security. We have much greater riches in the blessings of Christ than in all the bank vaults in all the world. Our health is important, but how we view God, ourselves, and others shouldn't go up and down depending on how well we feel. We're to know we are truly alive in Christ, and this is not temporary, but eternal. God is after our hearts, and he's after the hearts of those around us. This is central to the mission to go. We're to be those that are cutting down idols that we see in our own lives and distressed when we see idols around us. We're to go with the call to worship the one true God and bring others to worship him. Paul was distressed enough to debate in, in the marketplace. And then they took him to the Areopagus, where they loved to talk. This could also be seen as a, another idol. They just wanted to debate endlessly without looking for that response to the truth. So let's um, go and, and see what happens next. Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I say that, see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your object of worship... I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made, hev- uh, who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their their lands. God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own uh, poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The second thing I I want us to see is that we are to go to people where they are at. We're to go to people where they are at. That's what, what Paul did. He, he looked around um, uh, uh, where he was, and he could see all the idols. He sees the altar to the unknown gods. He used quotes from their own philosophers and poets. For the Jews, he went to the synagogue. For Greeks, he went to the marketplace, and then went to the Areopagus, the place where there was much debate. Paul builds bridges before telling the story of Jesus. He doesn't go straight in here with Old Testament passages, but quotations from their culture. Because every culture understands a few basic elements of the gospel, and we're to point out what they already know of God to help build a bridge. For us, we can pick up on people's openness to to new ideas, of a love for being connected with others. We can pick up on an appreciation of the beauty of the world around us, especially living where we live. We can pick up on a longing for justice to be done. 
So to go not with a, a superior attitude of, I have it all together, but humbly wanting to win others to the fellowship of the unashamed. We're to go and engage people where they are, but also make it really easy for people to come and be amongst us as well. Number seven, we are to go with a clear gospel because clarity is, is so important. You'll notice if you've ever been in a car and three British drivers arrive at a mini roundabout at the same time. <laughs> they don't know who to give way to first. They've arrived at the same time. Someone wants them just, just to make a decision. People have been there for days not knowing what to do. <laughs> clarity is vital and Paul proclaims the true God. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't dwell in places made by human hands. God doesn't need anything from humans. Paul is not afraid to say that God is creator and judge and to call people to repent because God will judge. <clears throat> Paul is clear that the only hope is Jesus. And he is the only reason to keep pressing on. The proof is in um, verse 31, <coughs> Paul says that um, in the resurrection of Jesus, he is alive, he is forever victorious, and we are to be unashamed, and we are to be clear. We can proclaim that everyone has sinned, everyone has fallen short of God's standard, that this means separation from God, and when we put our trust in Jesus, we know life, eternal we are to be clear. We're to go with a clear gospel. Just finally, I want to um, read these last verses of <clears throat> Acts 17. Verse 32 says, When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionys Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. <clears throat> so the last thing I want us to see this morning is that we are to go on the journey with people. Last week, we saw the jailer went from nowhere to a response to Jesus within seconds. And this is, this is unusual. <clears throat> we see the, the response here is that some sneered, some wanted to know more, others believed and started following Jesus. But we need to go on a journey with people. Throughout Acts 17, <clears throat> we've seen a wide range of responses. Some were persuaded and joined. Some were jealous and stirred up violence. Stirred up violence. Others eagerly received. And others examined scriptures. Let me mute the microphone one second. <clears throat> there we go. Others wanted to know more. And others, yet others were skeptical. So what do we do as we see people in their wide ranges of responses? Well, we're to pray regularly. Pray for them regularly. We're to talk openly. We're to be wise to the opportunities that we have and all the time keep pointing people to Jesus. It may be you're here this morning and you're still exploring, finding out, is, there, is, is this actually the truth? We want to help you in, in every way that we can to explore that until you're ready to take that step of trusting Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, we're thinking, how can we help others? How can we walk alongside? 
What we long for is seen in John chapter 4. The woman that Jesus encountered, encountered at the well went and told others of her experience. And then they came to hear Jesus. And then we read in John 4, verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. We're to go, we're to walk on the journey with people and to keep pointing them to him. So just as we close, we're to know that we are to be like Paul, convinced and confident, distressed and decisive. And this is only possible in the power of the Spirit. Uh, Our title for this series is Spirit Empower Mission. Because the Holy Spirit gives strength. The Holy Spirit brings wisdom and direction and power and passion and devotion. We've seen all of these things in our previous weeks. Paul went with a demonstration of the Spirit's power and we cannot go without the power of God with us. So to respond today, are we ready to join that fellowship of the unashamed? Do you need your view of the the Christian life changed? Has it only been a, a bit part? Do we need to fix our eyes afresh on what we are being called to? When we stand together, I'd love to pray for us. Let's just close our eyes a moment. Let's, I'm going to love to read that, um, the statement of the Zimbabwean young man who was killed for his faith. And just uh, allow maybe some of the words just to, to resonate with us. He says, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have the Holy Spirit's power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of his I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of the enemy, pander at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must go till he comes, give till I drop, preach till all know, and work till he stops me. And when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. My banner will be clear. Lord, I pray that you would be stirring our hearts this morning, that that we would be those who are unashamed, that we would know whom we have believed, knowing that our lives are only possible because of you. They're founded on you. They're sustained by you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be upon us now. that you'd be strengthening us, that you'd be stirring us, that we would have this confidence to go. Wisdom and direction. Lord, we surrender to you and pray when you do work in our lives, if there's anything that needs to be adjusted and changed to be brought more in line with the truth of who you are, I pray you'd do that this morning. We say we are here for you because of all you are and all you have done. We give you glory, Lord. Amen.